0: Welcome to the Central Baptist Church podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, B.C., we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. This
1: morning's message is based on Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, which I will now read for us. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, well, I'm excited about a new series, as you've been hearing, uh, calling this new series Through the Storm. And uh, we always use that idea of a storm to describe difficult times that we all may face in life. So when I think of an actual little storm a literal storm in a time when I felt scared I think back to when I was a kid And my family, we were camping in a campground uh, on Shuswap Lake near Salmon Arm. And one day we decided to take our canoe out to a place called Copper Island. If you've been there, you might know it. Uh, You can tell from this picture, uh, we're camping on this beach here, and it's about two kilometers off, and our, our family's out there hiking all around on Copper Island. When we saw that there was one of those giant, enormous Okanagan thunderstorms coming in, if you've been to the Okanagan, you know the kind I'm talking about. Those, those billows of clouds are going up. The sky is starting to turn black on the horizon. And so my parents, wisely, uh, decided the hike was now over and we were going to canoe back to our campsite. Except for the storm rolled in, I think, a little quicker than they anticipated. And so as we began to paddle... Uh, The winds started to immediately pick up. The waves started to get a whole lot bigger. And my parents, because we were younger, they took us off of our seats and put us down into the center of the canoe, made us sit on the floor. And and meanwhile, the the waves are getting even bigger and bigger. And I just remember as a little child watching the front of the the boat just going up and coming down and waves, the waters coming into the boat. And, And I, honestly, as a little boy, I was terrified. And you look at your parents, and I think they were doing that classic parent thing. where are like, it's all going to be okay. But you can see on their faces, like, it's all going to be okay. Like, you can tell. They're putting on a brave face. And so we kept paddling and paddling. But I just remember sitting in the bottom of that canoe as the waves were coming over. The wind is blowing and being terrified that our canoe was going to tip over and that we were all going to die. Now, obviously, we made it safely back to the shore, and maybe if my parents were to tell the story, they would say, "Uh, I think you viewed it a little too big, bigger than it actually was. You were just a child at the time. But that is actually precisely my point. When we talk about storms, we mean difficult times in lives. Our lives are like little boats, canoes, if you will, out in the middle of a storm, and we really all are children. When we look at the forces that are against us, we find ourselves in the winds and the waves. We are like children. We are taking in all that's going on around us. And oftentimes, we can be very afraid. Now, whenever you face one of these storms in life, I think probably the most common reaction we have is to just wish that it would go away. All these difficulties that just came into my life, I just wish it would all go away. I wish the storm would just disappear. But we all know, usually, the storm does not go away. In fact... It might even get worse. And so then our next reaction is to say, okay, I can't make the storm go away, but I'm going to try and avoid the storm. I'm going to try and get out of the storm to sail into calmer waters. And what I mean by that is you try to be wise, you try to take actions to make some changes in your life, and maybe, just maybe, you can avoid the storm or get out of it. But again, sometimes that works. But sometimes, despite all of your wisdom and all of your efforts... You cannot get out of the storm. It is a hard fact of life that usually we cannot avoid the storms, we cannot go around the storms. Usually the hardest fact we must come to grips with is we simply must go through the storms. That's the faith, the thing that we just end up having to face. And so, what I want to do in this new series is I want to look at various kinds of storms we face. Some of these maybe are not ones you've usually thought of, but I think we've got some really exciting stories I want to look at and some amazing things in the scriptures to see the kind of storms we face. But even more than that, how God enables us to go through the storms. So that's the series. Before I get into this first one and this famous story we're about to look at, though, let me just make a quick aside, uh, because I need to give credit where credit is due. One of the most beneficial things that I have done in my Christian life that's helped me the most is to take a year or even two years to focus on reading just one author who's written a whole pile of books. Uh, So I read other books, but I'll I'll really focus in on just one author. So in my early 20s, for instance, I read a whole lot of Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, I read a whole lot of A.W. Tozer for a period. I spent a year with Charles Spurgeon, a couple years with C.S. Lewis. Uh, Recently, I read the four volume works of John Newton, who, of course, you know, wrote Amazing Grace, uh, the hymn. He wrote a whole lot more than that. Uh, But most recently, over this last year and a half or so, I have been reading everything that a man named James Stewart has written. James Stewart, he's not so well known, uh, but he was a pastor and he was a teacher at the University of Edinburgh. He died in 1990. I benefited so much from reading uh, his books that I thought, how could I weave this in? How could I enable my church family to benefit from the way that I feel like I have benefited from James Stewart? And so here's what I've done. I've designed a a few different sermon series that are going to take us through to the end of summer, this being the first one. They're my sermon series. I made up the ideas for them. They're my sermons. But every single one of the sermons, to a greater or a lesser degree, has seeds of thoughts or more than that uh, from James Stewart, where I thought, hey, I think this could really benefit the central family and so I just want to give him full credit now so that every week I don't have to be like well James Stewart said this and James Stewart said that so that's giving credit where credit is due and I also just commend to you that idea maybe you'd be into doing that as well of taking one author and just immersing yourself in their writings for a period of time so that's the introduction to the series we've given credit Uh, Now let's begin the series as we look at this probably most famous storm story in all the Bible in Mark chapter 4. The first thing that this story teaches us is this, expect the storms. You got to expect the storms. Now the storm that we looked at in this story and are going to look at was no ordinary storm and most of the men who are in this boat are not ordinary men. Let's pick it up in verse 37, right in the middle of the story, where we read, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And they said to him, that's to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, let's be really clear here. Most of the men in this boat are not white-collar Latte-sipping, computer-typing men. That is not the kind of men most of these men are. Nothing wrong if that's you. It's probably me as well. But these, that's not these kind of men. Many of the men in this boat are seasoned fishermen. They are hardened sailors. Many of these men literally grew, grew up fishing, spent their lives on the Sea of Galilee fishing. These men have been in many storms before. But notice, this isn't just any storm. These experienced sailors are terrified for their very lives. With that said, though, I want you to notice something in this story that I wonder maybe you've never noticed before. I want you to notice that it was precisely while they were obeying Jesus' command that they faced the storm. While they were obeying, they faced the storm. So look at verses 35 and 36. On that day, this is the beginning of the story now, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. So what I want you to see there is that it was Jesus who said, let us get into the boat and go to the other side. It was in obedience to Jesus' words that they got into the boat. And so therefore, it was while they were faithfully following Jesus and obeying him, that's when the storm broke in on their lives. So then this is a very different storm. has nothing to do with uh, their disobedience, for instance. Think uh, of one of the other famous storm stories in the Bible would be the story of Jonah. That story is literally the opposite of this story. If you know that story, Jonah disobeyed God. He got onto a boat because he wanted to avoid obeying God's commands and to run away from God. And so we read these words in Jonah 1 verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I think we can kind of understand these kind of storms, right? We all know that we reap what we sow. If we are foolish, if we do stupid things, We will bear the consequences, and a storm may come into our life because we were foolish and we did something wrong, and so now that is why our life is difficult. I think we can all sort of understand that one, and we can understand the story of Jonah. God is seeking to wake up Jonah, to actually to help him. The storm is designed to help him, and so we say, okay, sometimes I can get that God's got to get my attention, and this happens. But listen, that is not, emphatically not, what was happening with the disciples, It was while they were following Jesus and obeying Jesus that this terrible storm broke in on their lives. I think this is so helpful for us because it teaches us that we should expect storms in our lives. It teaches us what it's really like to follow Jesus. Because sometimes, even some teachers give the impression that if you just become a Christian, Jesus will make all of your life calm, he'll solve your problems, and everything's going to be great. And so, come to Jesus because everything's just going to get fixed immediately for you. But right here in this story, we learn something very different. The becoming a Christian, oh yes, a day is coming, we'll get to this, when Jesus will calm all storms. But to become a Christian means you might actually be entering into a storm. You see, to become a Christian means, of course, to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. And to walk where Jesus walked means we must walk the path he walked. And to walk the path he walked, it means what happened to him? First he suffered, then he entered into glory. First it was the cross, then it was ascending to his father as the resurrected king. Same thing for us. First it is the storm. And then one day, by his grace, it's the cabin with the crackling fire and the great feast. But we must walk the path that Jesus walked. That's why James Stewart puts it this way. Jesus never said, sail with me and I'll guarantee you smooth seas all the way. He said, sail with me and through the stormiest sea, I'll get you to your desired haven. That is an important distinction we got to get. we got to get our expectations right. Even when we are faithfully following Jesus and obeying his commands, we should expect that we will face storms in our lives. So then the question becomes this. If the storms are going to happen... And if we just simply must go through them, we can't always wish them away or avoid them, we must go through them. Okay, then how do we go through them? Well, and the first thing this, if the first thing this passage teaches us is to expect the storms, then the second thing that it teaches us is this, wake up, Jesus. Wake up, Jesus. Now, let's look at verses 37 to 38. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. And they woke him first just pause and let's just look at the glory of our Savior. What an amazing picture you have right here. Here you have Jesus, the fully incarnate Son of God. And what I mean by that is he is not just some God walking around immune from all the troubles of life. No, right here you see Jesus in the fullness of his human nature. He is so exhausted, if you read the story earlier before this, so exhausted from serving other people, from loving people all day long. He is so exhausted from this that he literally falls asleep in the stern in the back of the boat during a mighty storm. Here you see the fullness of Jesus' humanity. But not only that, you see his trust, his absolute trust in his heavenly Father. He can be in the middle of a storm, and he is sleeping for he knows his life is entirely in the hands of his Father. Oh, how much we can learn from our Savior even as we watch him in this moment. But now contrast that with the disciples. Again, many of these men are expert sailors. And yet we're reading here that they are terrified. I mean, you can just imagine you know, as, a boat, as a wave crashes against the boat, they're just grabbing onto the boat and the wave smashes over. So they're turning their face away from the spray. And they look back and Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the back of the boat and we're like gripping onto the railings of the boat just making sure we're not going to get thrown over. And so they're thinking like Jesus is the one who got us out here. Jesus is the one who put us into the situation. If he got us into it, then he's going to have to get us out of it. And then I imagine at that moment, another giant wave hits and, and Peter's just pulling on the rudder trying to make sure he holds it straight. And I, I imagine him looking at John and saying, don't just stand there, man. Do something. Wake up, Jesus. They're terrified for their lives. All of this is the key to getting through the storm. In one sense, all of life is a storm in our fallen world. And then, of course, there are the particular storms that we each face. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I just feel completely overwhelmed By the winds and the waves, by all the forces, by all the things that are going on. Do you ever just get overwhelmed by life? See, this is where I need you to be here right now. It's really hard to talk to a camera. I'm trying to share my heart here with you, and you're just not answering back. I can't hear you, but I think I hear you. I need you here. I need to groan together with you right now because i got to be honest, there are moments I just groan. It's just the whole thing is too overwhelming. What should be done? What can we do when some things, storms, are so powerful I don't even know what to do about them? So, for instance... What can be done about the fact that we as a culture just seem to become more increasingly polarized over political views, whether it's in our country, and then strangely enough, we get polarized over American political views. We get polarized over what our government is doing with COVID and everybody's opinions on it. What can we do about this? What can be done with the fact, I was thinking about this yesterday, driving around this morning, thinking, man, the vast majority of those in the greater Victoria area do not know Jesus. How do we reach? This city for Christ, it's an overwhelming task where I just sit there and go, I don't even know. It's, it's such a big task. What can be done about the recent made legislation where now, as a government, as a society, we are literally throwing open the doors for euthanasia? Something so we never would have imagined years ago, and now euthanasia becoming something more and more common. What can be done about the fact that our children are being taught that there are more than two genders many more than two genders what can be done in this culture of ours where everyone talks about social justice all the time and yet as a nation every single year 90,000 90,000 precious canadian children are aborted what can be done in such a situation I get overwhelmed by that. Then sometimes I start noticing the state of the church in our nation, even the churches in our city across British Columbia, and I start to get a little overwhelmed that I consider that because we have people who say we're churches, but they deny that the Bible is the word of God. They deny that hell is real. They say everyone is going to be saved in the end. It doesn't matter if you really believe in Jesus or not. We have churches that say same-sex marriage is pleasing to God, and so we should be endorsing this and be behind it. We have churches right within a few hundred meters leaders of our own church that would say that Jesus was not bodily raised from the dead, that what you've got there is a story about new beginnings and how winter turns into spring and we can all turn things around if we try hard enough. In other words, we as a church, corporately, the Canadian church, if I could put it that way, are in the middle of a storm and there are moments when the wind and the waves are so powerful as I reflect upon the state of the church that I just go, I don't know what can be done in this moment And then to add on top of all of that, if that's not overwhelming enough, just trying to think of all the needs that people have. How do we meet so many needs? Some people are struggling with a divorce. Some people are struggling with a spouse who's passed away. Others are struggling with loneliness. There's mental health issues. Some are enslaved to addictions. You just add up all of these needs. Do you ever just get overwhelmed by it all? What can we do when the wind is so strong, when the waves are so big, and the storm is so powerful? About 550 years ago, there was an Italian preacher named Girolamo Savonarola. He's an Italian guy, and he was preaching in a giant cathedral in Florence. And he was reflecting upon the state of the church in his day, and it had become very corrupt. And had abandoned much of the truth. And in his sermon, he said this the light of faith is being extinguished, the soul of the church is perishing. The billows of unbelief are going over her. The waves of trouble are swamping her. What are we to do? What can we do? And then, with a great shout that just startled everyone in the cathedral and really went on to spark the Reformation, Savonarola called out to everyone and said, What can we do? Wake Christ! Wake Christ, he yelled. In other words, he was at that point, which I think we all often get to, where we just realize, man, there's some things that I can do, there's some differences I can make, but it's all just too overwhelming. The storm is too great. The wind is too powerful. And in that moment, when we come to the end of ourselves and we realize we cannot do anything about this storm, that's where we're in the position to properly learn how to go through the storm. And in that moment, like the disciples, what we need to do is to wake up Christ. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically. It's not that he is literally sleeping now as he was in the boat. But what we mean is we're calling upon him, crying out to him in prayer, saying, Jesus, we are in a storm. We don't know what to do about this. But we're crying out to you, the Christ, to come and to do something about it. Expect the storms. Wake up, Jesus. And now, in the third place, ask the question. Ask the question. Look at verse 39. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're about to die? In one sense, this is a terrible question. In one sense, as we're going to see, this question reveals just how small the disciples' faith is. It shows how wrongly they and we think. It shows how much they and we need to learn about Jesus. In one sense, it's a terrible question because it is literally an attack upon Jesus' character. You don't really care. Don't you care at all? It's questioning his very character. But the disciples asked the question, and let's be really honest, We ask the same question all the time. We might rephrase the words, but we ask it all the time. When a great storm comes into our lives, we quickly turn our voices and our eyes towards heaven saying, God, why would you allow this to come into my life? What are you doing right now? God, this is really difficult. Is it nothing to you, God, that we're struggling down here? Don't you care about everything that we're going through? We ask the question when someone we love suddenly dies and we're left alone. Jesus Don't you care that I'm drowning in grief? We ask it when we hear about a child suffering from some horrible disease. Jesus, don't you care about a child? This child who's dying? We ask it when mental health plagues our lives and we can hardly get out of bed in the morning, let alone hold down a job. Jesus, don't you care? You ask us to work and do this, but don't you care that I can't even do these things? We ask it when we've struggled against a certain sin in our lives for many years and just don't seem to get victory over it. Jesus, you're the one who calls us to make war against sin and follow you. Don't you care that I keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over again? And then, of course, when we look at all the evil and all the suffering in the world, we do our best to make sense of it. We listen to preachers talk about the problem of evil. We maybe read books on it. But we were trying to process it, but sometimes it just becomes too much. And we just say all the atrocities in the world, it's all just too evil. The suffering is too great. Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? So, I don't know about where you're at today, but what, lay, what waves are perhaps coming into the boat of your life? What kind of storm do you find yourself in? Do you find yourself asking the, basically the same questions of the disciples? Jesus, I've, I've been trying to faithfully follow you. I want to follow you. But boy, things are rough right now. Jesus, why aren't you doing something about it? Don't you care that we are perishing? Expect the storms. Wake up Jesus. Ask the question, and now in the fourth place, look who's in the boat. Look who's in the boat. The disciples have disturbed Jesus' much-needed sleep. They've asked him a question, a fierce question, that calls his very character into question. And then as Jesus sits up and probably rubs the sleep out of his eyes, he turns and he asks them a question. Verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, you know what Jesus is saying here? Faith means trust. He's saying, guys, look who's in the boat with you. Do you not remember when I commanded evil spirits And they obeyed what I said to do. Peter, do you not remember when your mom, your mother-in-law, had a fever and I touched her and her fever left? Guys, don't you remember that moment when we were in that room and those guys tore open the roof and they put down a paralytic right in front of me? And I not only enabled the man to walk, a cripple, I also forgave his sins and had the authority to do so. In other words, Jesus is saying, why are you guys so afraid? Have you not been with me so long? Do you not know all these things that are going on? Guys, look who's in the boat with you. Look who's in the boat. There's a story about a Roman warship that found itself in a tremendous storm. And yet no one on on board the ship was scared at all. They sail on, they said. Caesar is on the boat with us. Surely we cannot sink, sail on. That, of course, is just naive superstition. For Caesar, is just a man. But it's a very different situation when Jesus is in the boat with you. Faith means to trust. It means trusting that if Jesus is the one who led you into the storm, as he led the disciples, he's the one who said, let's get in the boat. And if Jesus is the one that's in the boat with us, we can trust him even when we fear that we are perishing. He may appear that he is sleeping, but in reality, of course, Jesus is the captain of each one of our little ships. You see, it's right here, I think, that we actually get one of the great answers to this whole problem of evil. We always talk about this. Here, there's many answers that the Christian message gives to us, and combined all together, they're satisfying. But here is one of the key answers to the entire question of the problem of evil. It's not a logical explanation or answer for why a certain thing has come into your life. That's not how this text is answering it. Rather, it's a presence. It is the presence of Christ with us in the middle of the storm. So it's one thing for us to ask and say, why, I mean, why am I in the storm? Why is all humanity really in this giant storm? But it's a whole other thing to hear, okay, we're in a storm, but Jesus is in the boat with us. We always ask why. Part of the Bible's answer is, not why, but who. Look who is in the boat with you. And who is in the boat with you may not answer all the why questions, but it certainly changes and reframes the entire question of why. Here is the one of the great Christian answers to all the evil and suffering in this world that God himself in the person of his son has entered into the storm with us. Just realize that for a moment. The God of heaven and earth did not remain above it all, but came down and entered into the storm that is this entire human existence with us. Other gods in human history do not do that. The God of Islam, Allah, does not enter into the suffering of this world. He is transcendent and remains above it all. The ancient gods of Greeks and Romans did not enter into the human suffering. There's a famous uh, legend about Prometheus... A Greek legend, Prometheus was chained to a rock in the mountains and he was crying out for the gods to come and to help him and to do something about it. But the answer came back from the gods and they said, you will get no answer unless one of the gods themselves is willing to go down for you into dark Hades and through the gloomy depths of hell itself. But no god is willing to do that for a mere mortal. No god has the kind of love for humanity like that. uh, But there's one god who has done that. The story of the Bible is that the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, put on human flesh in the person of his son. He came right down into the storm with us. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to experience pain. He was the one who was crucified and descended into the grave itself. We all know in this life that the best type of comforter it's somebody who's really been through the same thing, or very close to it, that we've been through? Well, they can relate, they understand, they know, and that is the story of the Bible: that God did not remain aloof and beyond it all, but came right down into it. That Jesus entered into the storm with it, with us. He gets it; he can relate. So, what you and I need is not always just an explanation for why this happens and why that happens. What we need is a presence. What we need is Christ. And praise be to God, Christ is there with us in the storm. Look who's in the boat with you. When you see who is in the boat with you, uh, it changes absolutely everything, doesn't it? And that's why you could say with the psalmist to just change the metaphor, the image a little bit. You can say, yea, though I sail. Through the valley of the great storm, or yea, the way sail to the great storm of life, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. Expect the storms. Wake up Jesus. Ask the question. Look who is in the boat. And now finally, trust the Lord of the storm. Trust the Lord of the storm. Verses 39 to 41. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the winds ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is the one who is in the boat with you, who is in the boat with me? He is the one who can command nature, and it obeys. When he spoke to the wind and the waves, they obeyed, for they recognized the voice of their creator. Who is this Jesus, the disciples ask? Paul answers it so clearly for us in Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, whether things in heaven or on earth. Invisible or visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. This man in the boat is no mere man. This is not Caesar on the boat with you. This man on the boat, this man in the boat with you is none other than your creator, the one who can speak and a universe comes into existence. That's the one who is in the boat with you. This is one of the things that will enable us to sail through the storm. For when you see that Jesus is the one who can say, peace, be still. He's not just saying those words to the winds and the waves. Here he obviously literally is. But really he's also saying it to the disciples' hearts. And he's saying it to our hearts as well. Jesus may not calm the storm in your life immediately. But listen carefully. He is the Lord of the storm. And he is with you in the storm. And the great hope of Christianity is that because God raised Jesus from the dead, A day is coming, oh, mark this. A day is coming when Jesus is going to return. And on that day, Jesus will descend down into the storm that is this entire fallen human existence on planet Earth. He will come down into that storm and he will stand in the middle of the vicious winds of war and of violence and of oppression. He will stand in the middle of the pounding waves of all the mental health struggles, the grief, all the physical pain that we feel. He will stand in the middle of the hurricane of all that is evil, of all the suffering of the world, and he will say, peace, be still. And when the risen and returning Christ speaks those words, everyone and everything will obey. Everyone and everything will obey the voice of their creator. The raging ocean of this life will become suddenly like glass. And all those who belong to Christ will sail safely into our haven, safely to the shore which he will bring us to, the shore of eternity where we will be with him forever. And friends, I am convinced that on that day, maybe a few days into eternity, We will look back on our time in this life. I don't know what our memories will be like or anything like that, so I'm speaking a little metaphorically. We will look back and we will say to ourselves, why did I ever doubt his care for me? Why was I so afraid? Why was so much worry and stress? Look who was in the boat with me. Why would I ever have said and asked him whether he cared for me? I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Lord of heaven and earth who gladly gave up his rights as, as the Son of God and became a man and came down into the stor- storm with us. This is Jesus who entered into all of the pain and the suffering of this world. This is Jesus who went to the cross for me, who endured the judgment for me. Oh, how could I ever accuse him of not caring about me When I was perishing, for it's Jesus who perished. Jesus voluntarily perished when he gave his life upon the cross. And he did it that whoever believes in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. Oh, how could we ever doubt his care for us when he has done all of that for us? Oh, friends, are you in a storm? Then look who's in the boat with you. The one in the boat is your creator. And he's not a creator who just doesn't care about you at all. He's a creator who has proved his infinite love for you in perishing on your behalf that you might not perish, but have eternal light. Look who's in the boat with you. He is indeed the Lord of the storm. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for, Father, the wind and the waves are often so powerful. All we see is the storm, and we forget to see who's in the boat with us. We forget your great love for us. We lack faith. Forgive us, O God, and increase our faith. Add to our faith, even this very moment, that whatever storm we are going through, we would trust you, that you are the true captain of our ship, You will guide us. And despite how bad that storm may get, we can trust you. For you have proven your love for us. We can trust that you will eventually safely guide us to our desired haven. So increase that faith in us. And forgive us for our lack of it. We believe. But Lord, help our unbelief. We ask it in your name.
1: If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us
0: at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.